0: Welcome to the Physics Teaching Podcast, a podcast by physics teachers for teachers of physics. <laughs> That's our number one listener introducing the podcast, my daughter, who I've sent across the pond, uh, who is with Patrick Kaplow, representing the podcast. Hello, Elizabeth. Uh, how, how is the United States of America treating you? It's
1: good. Um, much warmer than it looks. Did you go to school today and study
2: physics? I watched some children do a test.
1: That's the same thing, to be honest. That's fine.
2: <laughs> Did you go to a, uh, an American studies class yeah. or a comparative government?
1: Uh, yeah. We went to a. One of the people I was with was an intern type thing in a politics or humanities class.
2: And what's an intern? Because I don't think you have that in the UK.
1: It's like a teacher's assistant, but you're a student. Oh, ah, okay. I always like the idea of putting students to work. So if we could put, you know, sort of older students in charge of teaching younger ones, we would not need any teachers at all. They'd be a lot cheaper.
2: Well, they're, they're like your lab technicians, although they just, they need um, more direction because they don't have experience. But they've been through the course already. So let's say they take a, a course as a junior and really enjoyed it. Then as a senior... They can intern in the class, help the teacher out, but also help the students, and oftentimes the experience of uh, explaining things uh, or in small groups helping students solve problems really reinforces what they might have learned and are passionate about.
1: That's great. I love the idea of being an intern in a comparative government and politics class, because you just wheel in another system of government and go, here you go, look, it's a monarchy. What does everybody think? Yeah, okay. Uh, dictatorship. Uh, yeah. Uh, not so good. Yeah, I like, like it. It's good. You can tell I have a quite a simplistic view of other subjects. It's probably just as bad we stick to physics, probably, isn't it, really? But never mind.
0: Yeah, I do want to say great start for a physics teaching podcast I haven't yet talked about physics. Let's steer it back into line. Uh, so I, a brief physics in the news I thought it was really interesting I saw this week the James Webb Space Telescope Which is much delayed The, the, the replacement for the Hubble Has cleared its final Thermal vacuum test So they've oh. done everything uh, in a vacuum They've made it hot, they've made it cold The two parts of the James Webb Telescope Are fully hardened to vacuum One step close to the launch
2: When is the projected Bye. launch date? So
0: the launch is planned for March 2021 so quite a long way to go.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I'm interested also how much further it's going to see. Cause it didn't didn't Hubble see pretty much ninety percent of the distance to the edge of the universe? Is that right? I' I'm saying that the, the, the Hubble Deep Field was or the Hubble Ultra Deep Field wasn't it? Was it was the shot they got of of stars from thirteen billion years ago?
0: That was the one with a three week. Exposure time, wasn't it? Where someone yeah, gave like that, their yeah. whole allocation to looking at one point in space. It was a
1: great shot. Yeah, one twenty-six millionth of the sky, or something. Yeah, amazing. And and every dot that you see on it is actually a galaxy. There's only a couple of stars on there. It's it's mostly galaxies.
0: So yeah, James Webb. I've been watching that for years. Very interested in it. Now I'm hoping this week we will do a shorter podcast uh, because the, we've done some quite long ones. And before we start, I just want to remind people to fill out our survey. We have had five people fill in the survey, so we haven't got one listener. We've got at least four, because I noticed one of them was P. Kaplow. (laughs) So we have four listeners,
1: Robin. Four. Well, yeah, actually...
2: No, we have more than four listeners. Only four people have filled out the survey.
1: Yeah, and when you say four people, actually, I had a couple too many Manhattans last week and, and, and filled in three. I'm sorry about that. Actually, no, that's not true. No, they're, they're, it is, You're right, Pack. we have at least four listeners, uh, which is great to hear.
0: Yeah, I think they're real people, and they made interesting comments, and uh, one of them is influencing what I want to do today, which is when we started the podcast, one of the things I thought we would do is we would talk about the way we did some core – Practicals. We've hardly done that at all. We've done practicals in memoriam, and we've done uh, the challenge labs. But I thought it would be interesting to talk about the different ways we do some of the core practicals. And I have just finished teaching this, so it's worth something that we can talk about. I thought we could talk about how we find the young modulus. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a good
2: one. Is so that on the American spec, Patrick? So not really. Um, I don't think many American physics classes would cover Young's modulus. And I think that most of the time, it's in uh, physics textbooks here, but I think most of the time it would be relegated to like an engineering mechanics class maybe in first semester of university. So that's a great start for the first practical one I'm going to press on. Well,
1: yes, except that, that uh, Hooke's Law is a thing. In oh, stage,
2: absolutely. So. Yeah, for sure. And so I think that a lot of what we talk about could be modified um, in a way to only explore Hooke's Law, but uh, the kind of stress strain curves um, are, are uncommon. That doesn't mean that they don't happen in high school level physics. Uh, maybe they just are infrequent. But certainly, they're all over um, university physics.
0: So, hopefully, what we talk about will be useful if you're teaching Hooke's law. So, yes, uh, how do we teach the young modulus? I have a question for you. Uh, I, I don't. I'm obviously Patrick. You may not have done this, but have you ever done it vertically, Robin? It's you always see pictures in textbooks of two wires hanging next to each other, one fixed and one with a, the scale that slides up and down. Have you ever yeah. ever done it vertically?
1: only tried it once but couldn't get the blimmin thing to stop swinging long enough to take a reading it just exactly. it was oscillating gently back and forth it was yeah
0: yeah exactly i look at that i think how can that possibly work unless there's somehow forced how would you stop it swinging and and affecting the reading i've never tried it vertically uh, and you've 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 fed all my prejudices there i always do it horizontally
1: well except that you know our hero the rev does always uses the vertical method so maybe we should um, we should drop him a line and ask him
0: yeah the rev would do it vertically he'll, he'll have of all sorts of excellent of reasons behind it
1: I mean it must be possible
0: it must be possible and hopefully the listener will email us and give us a, an idea of how to do it vertically but I've I, i, I I've been working for some years to getting it to the point where it's easy to do there's the minimum faff and it can be an individual experiment and I think I've got there now so do you think it'd be worth me just talking you through it
1: well i think this is really interesting because the, the idea of of kids being able to do the, the practical on their own you, you know, effectively you, you've got it to the stage where the equipment's cheap and uh, common enough that every child can have their own apparatus and i think that's really intriguing that's a real breakthrough for me that's a really exciting way to do it so yeah it'd be great if you could talk through how to do the low rent equipment version of uh, the young <laughs> modulus practical it'd be really good
0: yes uh and, and the reason I wanted to do Young's Modulus, just to say, is I, we had an interview at our school, and one of the candidates, I was talking to him, he was he's a physicist, and he we talked about Young Modulus, and he said he had trouble with it, and I just thought, I've never had trouble with it. It's, it's interesting that people do have difficulty with things that, you do every day or every year anyhow so how do i go about it well the the secret is that every child needs a plank i think most schools have planks don't they they use them for trolley experiments they roll them down the planks so i have a plank of wood a little over a meter long and then you just put a screw in one end you know a couple of centimeters from the other end and that's your anchor point for the for the wire and i use copper wire so it's reasonably stretchy 32 28 standard wire gauge mhm and then I don't use a pulley. I thought for years you need a pulley for the wire to go over the end. You don't need a pulley because because the friction is negligible compared to the the weight
1: you're hanging on the wire. And presumably, if you well, yeah, actually, and presumably, if you aren't worried about that, you could just sort of you know have a little bit of of thick tape or something over the end to, to, that's demonstrably smooth and it will allow the, the the wire to slide. You know, because the only thing is, I suppose it could it could get snagged on a rough bit of wood or something, but you can counter that, right?
0: if you think about the physics of it it's a very smooth piece of wire so even a snaggy jaggedy piece of wood on the end is not going to affect it much mm. now that i have done it in the past with a piece of wire that went the, the, as long as possible so five meters long across the whole room uh, but that does need a group of, quite, of two or three to make it work properly really there's quite a lot of faff involved and if we're trying to reduce faff with my my meter long piece of wire the question is, how do, you, how do you measure the extension? Because it's going to be quite small. Hmm. Have you ever tried the one where you superglue a piece of cotton to the wire and then wrap it around a straw and then put a pointer in the end of the straw? Have you ever tried that one?
1: I tried something similar, I think, where we tried to put a pointer on the, um, on, on the, the, the wire and then there was all sorts of things like trying to make the angle, uh, sort of trace out an angle on a protractor and all sorts. But um, I think um, that there is a better way.
0: Yeah, the, the twiddly wire, I've tried that. It, it, it's such a good idea, but it's faff. It's so faffy. Mm. You want something that's mm. low faff. And I've been working a, a few, a couple of years ago. I thought, why not use a vernier for and put a vernier on the wire? And I started off just hand-drawing it, putting mm. 10 marks in 9mm by hand with a sharp pencil. And that worked pretty well. It was quite hard. And then this year, I had the Eureka moment. And it was actually after we talked about the My String experiment. That, that you can just reduce
1: a ruler to 90 percent so this this i think patrick i don't know about you but for me th- this is where there's a touch of genius in this he takes a ruler and photocopies it at 90 percent, and then uses a centimeter which has now got 10 marks within 0.9 of a centimeter at his vernier scale
2: that's pretty cool
1: uh, it's cute isn't it i do like that
2: yeah no that's a great way of doing it and i, I was trying to wrap my head around this um, could, but but it's about measuring really small differences in length. So mm-hmm. measuring the height of the slotted mass above the floor would not be as precise.
0: Yeah, and that swings around. You have all the same problems as swinging around. I'm trying to to do a very very small measurement because with the, the copper wire I used, it, I think I used 28 today. It was but the, the diameter is 0.27 mil. That will stretch, start to stretch, and, and give and slip at about twelve newtons. So I'm doing an experiment mm. that I want to keep, you know, with a one hanger with ten newtons on it, mm. uh, and the extension, of that's going to be, you know, a mil maybe. So and, and using a vernier, obviously, it's great practice for them. I, I don't know how it is in the, in the states, but at A level here, they have to learn to use a vernier.
2: No, I I don't see that piece of equipment very often in the lab. Um. so no it's and and it's a great every time I have used it I often have to train the students uh, Um, in advance so I think it's a great skill to learn
0: yes it's it's great practice so what I do is I put a meter ruler on the board alongside the wire and I put the one end of it at one meter and I carefully tape the zero of my little vernier that I've cut out of my photocopy at, at one meter giving me a length of one meter and I tape it to the to the wire, perfect, and then you've got a fixed anchor point, a nice convenient length, and then I do the experiment. Then the other wrinkle I have I really like the graph to have that hockey stick shape, so it when you put the first weight on, you know how it straightens the wire and pulls out any kinks. yeah, I'd like to talk about that, so i yeah. I use a ten gram the hanger from front you know when you have you have the the one newton hanger with ten ten gram masses on it, yeah, I just tension the wire with a ten gram hanger so it's mm. really sloppy mm. and then that the fir- that's their zero and then their first weight gives them a nice yank and sorts it out uh and then you can do the experiment really sweetly with the the ten newtons and you just make sure that the your little vernier is gliding along on the on the on the ruler scale. I ha- I do find you need to put an- another ruler under the wire so that the vernier is at the same level, your height off the desk as the as the ruler you're using for your scale. Got you. Yeah. Actually I've missed out a step there haven't I because once you've measured your meter length of wire with your meter ruler, you have to move that meter ruler up to allow for the extension so the vernier will be on some random point on that ruler at about you know your first point might be 922.7 millimeters and i do find you have to put another ruler underneath the wire so the the (laughs) the vernier scale is the same height as your ruler you're using as the scale now funnily enough saying that even talking about it now i realise of course you could photocopy the ruler at 100 percent for your scale and you, at 90% for the vernier scale, and then they could both lie flat on the, the board uh, or even just over the top of the desk. So I'm always refining it. I'm always thinking about it. It's, it's a shame you can only do it once a year. Yeah. So that's how I do it. And then the the, the really important thing I've I've learned over the years, the kids drop the weights onto the hanger. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Not very mm-hmm. good, Not very helpful. So yeah. they, you, you have to teach them to put them on very carefully and slowly.
2: So the yeah. behavior of the wire should be elastic. So if they drop it on, other than disturbing the apparatus, it should return to its original length, no? Or am I missing something?
0: No, you're right. But um, the, this stretches at such a, a small weight that if it's close, like if they've got six on and they drop a, a newton on, down the hangar it can put a big jump in their results
2: okay and how many data points typically do you have them do so how many different weights are they attaching
0: well the the guidance for a level is more than five fewer than ten and that's what mm-hmm. i stick to uh if they, if I'm going to get them to stretch it, though, I will. I'll get them to go up in twos, maybe, or just go up to thirteen newtons. Yeah, through thirteen's know, not so much, uh, and, and it will start to give at around thirteen, and that's when it's fun, isn't it? Because the they take a reading and they double check it, and it's moved
2: hmm. with a vernier.
0: Yeah. That's so clear, you can see it moving so clearly.
2: And so, what do your results look like? Do you get like very clean linear functions, so that your students can then do a regression? Or this is a great application of you know science skills. Do they do a regression? Do they just pick two points? Do they draw the line of bef- best fit and then calculate the slope of that? Like, wh- what's your what's your experience been like? You're going to have to tell me what
0: you mean by regression.
2: Well, um, using a computer to uh, put in all of the different XY data points and give the give you a uh, slope. Of, uh, of a linear function so it's using all of the data points instead of just two
1: best fit line kind of thing
0: yeah well that's difficult with excel isn't it because you've got to tell it the points to use because on my graph of course you've got the hockey stick it depends what the point of the lesson is going back to last week's podcast if my the mm. point of the lesson is gathering the data i would just let them put it in a spreadsheet
1: yeah i have to say i think one of the nicest Things about Young's modulus is if you're introducing kids to uncertainties for the first time, this is a great experiment to analyze because there's a lot of measurements that you get uncertainty from. There's the original length of the wire with an uncertainty, there's the diameter of the wire that has an associated uncertainty, then of course there's your extension of the wire that has an associated uncertainty. And once you've compounded all these together, what you find at the end is that. All of the uncertainties can go hang compared to the uncertainty in the extension of the wire, which as a percentage is enormous and thus affects your young modulus result more than anything else. Uh, And the uncertainty in everything else is fairly much negligible compared to that.
0: I I neglected to mention when I was telling you about it how I avoid the wire destroying your eyes when it snaps.
2: How do you do that, Robin? How do you make that safe? Do you have your students wear safety glasses in the lab for that? absolutely get them to wear safety glasses uh that's that's a
0: definite but even then yes. it could whip and cut them
1: so how how do you
0: stop that robin
1: how do i stop it whipping yeah uh well I, to be honest i used to get mine to wear glasses it was the only time i ever really almost had a serious accident because one well, of my students did almost take their eye out with a young modulus wire snapping and so i used to get them to wear glasses so that's all i did
0: yeah the, that's, that's not what I've been taught, not the recommended thing. You definitely wear glasses, but the wire can certainly whip and cut you, uh, w- you know, where your glasses aren't. And th- there's a very simple solution. You just put cardboard on top of it. So you take a bit of cardboard, you bend it slightly, and then you rest it on top. And then if it breaks, the energy goes into the cardboard, not into you. Got you. Right. So I put on mine, I'd put three, one near the end, one in the middle, one near the... the Hanger, and if it breaks, the energy is taken. It, it'll wrap. It will wrap round the um, cardboard, and it will be made safe. And that has, it has. It definitely works. That's
2: cool. That's good. Good. Makes cool. a lot of good sense. Tip.
0: Yeah. I've seen it done with Sellotape as well, but again, that's faff. You know, it just takes time to put Sellotape loops, and they stick to the wire, and then you worry that's affecting it. Whereas this, just three little bent bits of cardboard, bump, pop, pop, and mm-hmm. you have reduced the faff. So, you know, this. The setup on this is so quick you can show them it's set up and it's so obvious how it works and then off they go the main the main faff is attaching the vernier so it, and lining it up with
2: the, the ruler that's great it's so simple Nine. so accessible and it sounds like something uh, most physics teachers could do but isn't there like a uh also a, uh, another piece of equipment like a micrometer using
0: Oh, no, we haven't talked about how we do the diameter of the wire, have we? Well, if you haven't got a micrometer, of course you can use the standard wire gauge and look up the diameter. But for A-level in the UK, a micrometer is an expected piece of equipment. So, yes, we use a micrometer to get the diameter.
2: Which is another great, um, you know, skill to learn.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that's definitely, it's again, one of the skills that they have to learn in England. uh, Is using a, a micrometer and... I always like to to show them. I, I I break the micrometers before I give them out. So the zero they got massive zero errors, and then teach them how to zero a micrometer. They all wonder what those little tiny spanners are.
2: How do you how do you mess them up before you give them just to show that the calibration is the step is important? Like, what do you do to them?
0: Well, the micrometer has. You can adjust the zero in a micrometer pretty easily If you have the right little spanner I take all the spanners, little spanners out of the boxes Because they get lost over the years So you just stick it in the hole on the micrometer And yank it around So the zero is at 46 or something Okay And then either that you let them treat that as a zero error But that this, would, this wouldn't this would be on the same day you know, I do a lesson on how to use a micrometer So then I teach them how to zero them you know, So you, you put the spanner in And you yank it around until it lines up with zero It's quick and easy
2: what are your percent differences uh for young's modulus in the copper wire that you're using and uh how much variance is there you know uh in 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 the in the alloys that you can buy i mean it's not pure i assume it's not pure copper that pure copper wire that you're buying
0: i'm certain it's not because i'd never get the young modulus of copper when i do the copper wire the allegedly copper wire um I did I did it three times a day. I wanted to compare going off the edge of the table with the pulley. Uh, and the three values I got for the linear bit were 64, 49, and 50 gigapascals. Uh, and the the, 40, the 50 was the pulley. It made no difference at all, really. And the uncertainty is just in where you draw your line of best fit. So there's the, the, little variance, and certainly you don't need a pulley.
1: I know that copper's structure is quite complex, and I know this actually through a weird thing because we were told to um, anneal some copper piping that we had on an old um, mechanical pressure gauge on on a boat engine of all things years ago. Uh, basically, we were told that after a time, because the engine vibration used to work harden the copper to the point where it was brittle, that we should play a blowtorch over that copper pipe till it glows red hot, and then allow it to cool because that basically means the crystalline structure of the copper is re. Aligned or whatever it is, you know, it's the, the, the small crystals that are formed are reformed as larger crystals, so that the copper structure um, is is um, flexible again. Now that tends to imply that the structure of copper is quite complex and probably has implications for this experiment. So, Patrick, you mentioned alloys, and that's absolutely true. That's going to be a big source of uncertainty. Even a tiny percentage of impurity can radically affect the mechanical properties of metal, and you see that most clearly in steel, but also the crystalline structure is going to change it as well, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm sure it's an alloy, because I'd imagine to make it work as a wire they have to, to change the young modulus somehow. But I, I, I have no evidence for that, that's just my take. It'd be interesting to do the density, wouldn't it? To get a thousand metres of copper wire and <laughs> put it in water get the volume. But you just don't get that much copper wire do
1: you well it'd be lovely if anybody who's listening to the podcast who happens to have a bit of an electrical background or know someone who does uh, could tell us is your standard copper wire that you buy on a reel is it really pure copper you're right i doubt it as well as you as you so rightly say it's highly likely to to be too stretchy uh, as a wire if it's not alloyed with something and also it's expensive now isn't it copper
0: uh, it's interesting. That the the young modulus I get is a third of the stated young modulus of copper. So I wonder whether they want it stretchier. So it works as a wire. Well, so there we go. Young modulus. <laughs> you could use that in America to do Hooke's law factoring. Absolutely. But you could use it for a wire. Hooke's law for a wire. You could be an extension rather than doing it for a spring. You could do it for a wire.
2: And and it you know it brings in so many interesting and usable. Skills in terms of the micrometer and the vernier, um, and and I also love the the near linear results that bring in the the aspects of um, how do you model this? What's the slope of those data sets when you include um, you know error in precision? And um, yeah, it's great. It's great stuff. So I, I would I would agree that it's an extension of Hooke's law and usable about that
1: so one of the things i always loved about the young's modulus because we used to use it as uh, a upper six, this was uh, patrick just for for context this was the kids who were 18 and just about to head off to university and there used to be a lovely kind of free range project in the a level that they could do pretty much anything they wanted to and one of the things they could do was 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 young modulus and you you could do a, a measurement of young modulus and of course the great thing about it was was it's really really open-ended so the really good kids could really start to explore so they could start to have chats about you know the material makeup of the copper and would it be different what happens if you used a thicker copper wire but a longer length of it and what happens if you you know what's the limits on on the thickness of the copper wire that you can use you, know, you can't use a copper bar for obvious reasons because you get no extension how do you investigate that you know which is a more valid result what might affect the 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 properties of, of the copper so everybody could take it pretty much as far as they wanted it was an easily differentiatable i don't think that's english but anyway it's an easily differentiatable experiment and that's one of the things i loved most about the young experiment
2: that's fantastic it's so usable and those are the, the 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 little pieces that teachers love to glom onto right like they they can extend in a direction that their classes are interested in um uh, i love the idea of different materials and different uh thicknesses different gauges um this is good stuff
1: yeah, you could start to make all sorts of uh, – so for kids who are really keen on engineering, you could start to say, okay, so which wires would be better for which applications and why justify that? You know, And then they'd have to talk about that. And then you'd say, okay, well, how much do the wires cost? You know, Have you thought about that? And these are all things that yeah, budding engineers really, really love to get into. So, yeah, so it's a lovely – so there's so much potential there. It's a lovely, lovely experiment. I think we should draw a halt to it there. Um, sure, trying to do a short podcast this week. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> just a quick reminder – please do our survey. You can win a t-shirt uh, and the vacuum cannons will have been shipped by the time this podcast goes out. Don't know whether that's worth saying, I'm not going to make any more this season, uh, but thanks Patrick for the vacuum cannon. They've been a roaring success.
2: The mischief that you can get involved in with just a vacuum pump and some projectiles.
1: Hmm.
0: <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Um, yes and one of the suggestions in someone who's done the survey is uh more on practicals and more on the the lost practicals i thought mm. that was interesting The the practicals that, that the rev will know about and that we've forgotten would be interesting yeah. to, to chat to him and maybe if people can suggest to us practicals to talk about and mm. and and demos of course demos uh but i think we, we tend to use practical for the class doing it and demo for us doing it don't we so Mm. The lost Demos and Practicals that we can talk about. We need people to suggest to us what to cover. The Lost Labs. That's the way to go. The Lost Labs. So you can contact us, email contact at com. Twitter at physics TP. And those are the most popular ways people contact us. The third way people contact us is through the website. Nearly all the pages on the website, the.physicsteachingpodcast.com
1: has a contact form at the bottom just type a little message in there that's it keep filling in those surveys yeah we want to hear from you even if you've never listened to the podcast before tell us what you want to hear and to get
0: to the survey is com slash survey
1: what are the chances <laughs> what are the chances
2: it's the end of the academic year and i think it's a great time for teachers to start thinking forward about next year and what changes they want to make to their programs and so it's a great time to ask those questions ask teachers around the world who have done different physics practicals and um, you know we I think we can uh, pool our resources and get great ideas out there
0: yeah I, I, it would be great if people have a way they do a core practical to come on the podcast and tell us about it I, I, I'm I'm really happy with the way I do young modulus I think it, I, I've not seen other people do it there must be people out there who feel the same way about how they do something that we do. Like, I'd love to hear how someone does the LEDs for Planck Constant because I do it one way and I'm not sure that's the right way. Actually, on Twitter, someone tweeted uh, this week about how you can see the flashing light on a remote control with a webcam or a mobile phone. Yeah. Apparently not iPhones, mm-hmm. funnily enough. And then someone mm. tweeted, oh, this is genius. When I do the Planck Constant... I get one more data point using an infrared LED in their mobile phones. How cool is that? (laughs) Yeah, good one. That is a great idea. That made me so happy. Anyhow, let's call a halt there. Um, So thank you very much, Patrick, for looking after my beloved daughter. We're
2: having fun already. It's like full-time, you know we get to, to, to figure out what the differences are in language. Like, it's, it's uh, once every 20 minutes, I'm like, wait a second, back up, back up, explain that to me.
0: <laughs> anyway, we digress again. Thanks a lot, chaps. i speak to you next week.
2: All right, guys, have a good one. It was good chatting with you. It's been great. Thanks ever so much.
0: Thank you for listening to the Physics Teaching Podcast, our first go at talking about a practical in-depth I think we missed quite a lot out, such as how to calculate the Young Modulus, but I'm sure you all know how to do that really. Please continue to fill out the survey, it has helped and has guided us, we can see that people do like hearing about practicals, so look out for more chat about those soon. Because I was worried that we hadn't explained the practical properly, I did actually make a video which you can find on YouTube. If you search YouTube for The Physics Teaching Podcast, you should be able to find it. It's called Young Modulus, The Physics Teaching Podcast. The podcast is presented by Robin Griffiths, Patrick Kaplow, and me, Thomas WP. It's produced and edited by me, Thomas WP. Please don't forget to fill out the survey. We'll close it in a week. As we go to press, we've had 17 responses, and you can find it at the.physicsteachingpodcast.com slash survey. Thanks for listening and we'll speak to you next week.